0: Hello and welcome to Storytime for Kids Brought to you by The Balls We read you stories so your parents don't have to In today's episode we should be reading you The Secret Garden By Frances Hodgson-Panette I hope you enjoy Chapter 1 There's no one left When Mary Lennox was sent to Mithillsway Manor to live with her uncle Everybody said she was the most disagreeable looking child ever seen. It was true too. She had a little thin face and a little thin body. Thin light hair and a sour expression. Her hair was yellow and her face was yellow because she had been born in India and had always been ill one way or another. Father had held a position under the English government and had always been busy and ill himself. Her mother had been a great beauty who cared only to go to parties and amuse herself with happy people. She had not wanted a little girl at all, and when Mary was born, she handed her over to the care of her ayah, who was made to understand that if she wished to please the Mem Sahib, she must keep the child out of sight as much as possible. So when she was a sickly, fretful, ugly little baby, she was kept out of the way. And when she became a sickly, fretful, toddling thing, she was kept out of the way also. She never remembered seeing familiarly anything but the dark faces of her eye and the other native servants, as they always obeyed her and gave her her own way in everything because the Mem Sahih would be angry if she was disturbed by her crying. By the, by the time she was six years old, she was a tyrannical and selfish, a little pig as has ever lived. The young English governess who came to teach her to read and write disliked her so much that she gave up her place in three months and when the other governesses came to try to fill it they, were all, they always went away in a shorter time than the first one. So if Mary had not chosen really to want to know how to read books she would never have learned her letters at all. One frightfully hot morning, when she was about nine years old, she awakened by the feeling very cross, and she became crosser and crosser. Still, when she saw that the servant who stood by her bed was not her ayah, "Why did you come?" she said to the strange woman. "I will not let you stay. Send me my ayah to me." The woman looked frightened, but she only stammered that the ayah could not come, and when she and when mary threw herself into a passion and beat and kicked her she looked only more frightened and repeated that it was not possible for the ayah to come to miss sahib there was something mysterious in the air that morning nothing was done in its regular order and several of the native servants seemed to be missing while those whom mary saw slunk or hurried about with ashy and scared faces But no one would tell her anything, and her ire did not come. She was actually left alone as the morning went on, and at last wandered out into the garden and began to play by herself under a tree near the veranda. She pretended that she was making a flower bed, and she stuck a big scarlet hibiscus blossom into little heaps of earth, all the time growing more and more angry, muttering to herself the things she would say and the names she would call uh, side eye when she returned pig, pig, daughter of pigs she said because to call a native a pig is the worst insult of all she was grinding her teeth and saying this over and over again when she heard her mother come out on the veranda with someone she was with a fair young man and they stood talking together in low strange voices Mary knew the fair man who looked like a boy she had heard that he was a very young officer who had just come from England. The child stared at him, but she stared most at her mother. She always did this when she had the chance to see her, because the memsahib, Mary used to call her that oftener than anything else, was such a tall, slim, pretty... F- pretty person and wore such lovely clothes. Her hair was like curly sink and she had a delicate little nose, which seemed to be disdaining things, and she had large laughing eyes. All her clothes were thin and floating, and Mary said they were full of lace. They looked fuller of lace than ever this morning, but her eyes were not laughing at all. Then they were large and scared and lifted in... Imploringly to the fair boy officer's face, "Is it so very bad? Oh, is it?" Awfully, the young man answered in a trembling voice. "Awfully, Missus Lennox, you ought to have gone to the hills two weeks ago." The sahib wrung her hands. "Oh, I know I ought," she cried. "I only stayed to go to that silly dinner party. What a fool I was!" at that very mo- moment such a loud sound of wailing broke out from the servants quarter then she clutched to the young man's arm and mary stood shivering from head to foot the wailing grew wilder and wilder what is that what is it mrs lennox gaps, gasped someone has died answered the boy of officer you did not say it had broken among your servants i did not know the member sahib cried, come with me, come with me, and she turned and ran into the house. After that, appalling things happened, and the mysteriousness of the morning was explained to Mary. The cholera had broken out in its most fatal form, and people were dying like flies. The eye had been taken ill in the night. It was because she had just died, and the servants had wailed in the huts. Before the next day, three other servants were dead, and the others had run away in terror. There was panic on every side, and dying people in all the bungalows. During the confusion and bewilderment of the second day, Mary hid herself in the nursery and was forgotten by everyone. Nobody thought of her, nobody wanted her, and strange things happened off of which she knew nothing. Mary alternatively cried and slept through the hours. She only knew that people were ill, and then she heard mysterious and frightening sounds. Once she had crept into the dining room and found it empty, through a partially finished meal was on the table, and chairs and plates looked as if they had been hastily pushed back when when the diners rose suddenly for some reason. The child ate some fruit and biscuits and had been thirsty, and being thirsty, she drank a glass of wine, which stood nearly filled. It was sweet, and she did not know how strong it was. Very soon it made her intensely drowsy, and she went back to her nursery and shut herself in again. Frightened by cries that she heard in the hearts, and by hurrying sound of feet, the wine had made her so sleepy that she could scarcely keep her eyes open, and she lay down on her bed, knew nothing more for a long time. Me- many things happened during the hours in which she slept so heavily but she was not disturbed by the wails and the sound of things being carried in and out of the bungalow when she awakened she lay and stared at the wall the house was perfectly still she had never known it to be so silent before she had heard neither voices nor footsteps and wondered if everybody had to get a got well of cholera and all the trouble was over she wondered also who would take her care of her now. Her Aya was dead, there would be a new Aya, and perhaps she would know some new stories. Mary had been rather tired of the old ones. She did not cry because her nurse had died. She was not an affectionate child and had never cared much for anyone. The noise and hurrying about and the wailing over the cholera had frightened her. And she was not and she had not been angry because no one seemed to remember that she that he was alive everyone was too panic-stricken to think of the look of the little girl no one was fond of oh. when people had the color it seemed that they remembered nothing but themselves but if everyone had gotten well again surely someone would remember and come to look for her but no one came as she lay waiting the house seemed to grow more and more silent she heard something rustling on the matting and then she looked down and she saw a little snake gliding along and watched her with the eyes like jewels she was not frightened because he was a harmless little thing who would not hurt her and he seemed to be in a hurry to get out of the room he slipped under the door as she watched him how queer and quiet it is she said it sounds as if there was no one in the bungalow but me and the snake. Almost the next minute she heard footsteps on the, on the compound, then on the veranda. They were men's footsteps, and the men entered the bungalow and talked in low voices. No one went to meet or speak to them, and they seemed to open doors and look in rooms. What des- uh, what desolation? She heard one of the voices say. That pretty, pretty woman. I suppose the child, too. I heard there was a child, but no one ever saw her. Mary was standing in the middle of the nursery when the door opened a few minutes later. She looked She looked an ugly, cross, little thing and was frowning because she was beginning to be hungry and feeling disgracefully neglected. The first man who'd come in, and he was a large officer she had once seen talking to her father he looked tired and troubled but when she, when he saw her he was so startled he almost jumped back barney there's a child here all oh, a child alone in a place like this mercy on us who is he i'm mary lennox the little girl said drawing her herself up stiffly she thought that man was very rude to call to call her father's bungalow place like this I fell asleep when everyone, when everyone had the cholera, and I was only just wakened up. Why does nobody come? It's the child no one ever saw," exclaimed the man, turning to his companion. "She, she has actually been forgotten. Why was I forgotten?" Mary said, stamping her foot. "Why does nobody come?" The young man, whose name was Barney, looked at her very sadly. Mary she, even thought she saw him wink his eyes as if it was to wink tears away. Poor little kid, he said. There's nobody left to come. It was that strange and sudden way that Mary found out that she had neither father nor mother left. That they had died and been carried away in the night. And that the few native servants who had not died also had left the house as quickly as they could get out of it. None of them even remembered that there was a Missy Sahib. That was why the place was so quiet. It was truly that there was no one in the bungalow but herself and the little rustling snake. Chapter 2. Mistress Mary Quite Contrary. Mary had liked to look at her mother from a distance and she had thought her very pretty. But as she knew very little of her, she could scarcely have been expected to love her or to miss her very much when she was gone. She did not miss her at all. In fact, and as she was a self-absorbed child, she gave her entire thought to herself as she had always done. If she had been older, she would no doubt have been very anxious at being left alone in the world. But she was very young and she had always been taken care of. She supposed she always would be. What she thought was that she would like to know if she was going to nice people and and who would be polite to her and give her her own way as her ayah and the other native servants had done. She knew that she was not going to stay at her English clergyman's house when she was taken at first. She did not want to stay. The English clergyman was poor, and he had five children, all nearly the same age. They wore shabby clothes and were always quarrelling and snatching toys from each other. Mary hated their untidy bungalow, and was so disagreeable to them that after the first day or two, nobody would play with her. By the second day, they had given her a nickname that made her furious. It was Basil who thought of it first. Basil was a little boy with an impudent blue eyes and, and a turned-up nose. Mary hated him. She was playing by herself under a tree when she had been playing the day the cholera broke out. She was making, she was making heaps of earth and paths for a garden, and Basil came out and stood near to watch. Presently, he got rather interested and suddenly made a suggestion. Why don't you put a heap of stones there and pretend it's a rockery, he said, there in the middle, and he leaned over to point. Go away, cried Marion. I don't want boys, go away. For a moment, Basil looked angry, and then he began to tease. He was always teasing his sisters. He danced around and around her and made faces and sang and laughed. Mistress Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? With silver bells and cockle shells and marigolds all in a row. He sang it until the other children heard and laughed too. And the crosser Mary got, the more they sang, Mistress Mary, quite contrary. And after that, as long as she stayed with them, they called her Mistress Mary, quite contrary. When they spoke to her, to each other and often when they spoke to her. You're going to be sent home, Basil said to her at the end of the the week, and we're glad of it. I'm glad too, answered Mary. Where is home? She doesn't know where home is, said Basil, with seven-year-old scorn. It's England, of course. Our grandmama lives there, and our sister Mabel was sent there last year. You're not going to your grandmama, you have none. You're going to your uncle, his name is Mr. Archibald Craven. I don't know a thing about him, snapped Mary. I know you don't, Basil answered. You don't know anything, girls never do. I heard father and mother talking about him. He lives in a great, big, desolate old house in the country and no one goes near him. He's so cross, cross he won't let... He won't let them, and they wouldn't come in if he he would let them. He's a hunchback, and he's horrid. I don't believe you, said Mary, and she turned her back and stuck her fingers in her ears. She would not listen any more. But she thought it over a great deal afterwards, and when Mrs Crawford told her that, that, that night that she was going to sail away to England, in a few days and was going to be her own good, Mr. Archibald Craven, who lived in Mithlaswaite Manor. She looked so stony and stubborn, uninterested, that they did not know what to think of her. They tried to be kind to her, but she only turned her face away when Mrs. Crawford attempted to kiss her and held herself stiffly when Mr. Crawford uh, patted her shoulder. She's such a plain child, Mrs. Crawford said, fittingly afterwards, and her mother was such a pretty creature. She had a very un- very pretty manner too, and Mary was the most unattractive ways I've ever, I have uh, ever saw in a child. The children call her Mistress Mary, quite contrary, and I thought it's naughty of them. One can't help understand it. Perhaps if her mother had carried her pretty face, her pretty manners, oftener in the nurseries, Mary might have learnt some pretty ways too. It is very sad now that the poor beautiful thing is gone, to remember that many that never even know that she had a child at all. I believe she scarcely even looked at her, sighed Mrs Crawford, and when her ayah was dead there was, no, there was no one to give a thought to the little thing. Think of the servants running away and leaving her all alone in the deserted bungalow. Colonel McGrew said he nearly jumped out of his skin when he opened the door and found her standing by herself in the middle of the room. Mary made Mary made the long voyage to England under the care of an of, of an officer's wife, who was taking her children to leave them to to leave them in a boarding school. She was very much absorbed in her own little boy and girl, and was rather glad to hand the child over to the woman Mr. Archibald Craven had sent to meet her in London. The woman was the housekeeper of Mithelswaite Manor, and her name was Mrs. Medlock, a stout woman with very red cheeks and sharp black eyes. She wore a very purple dress, a black silk mantle with jet fringes on it, and a black bonnet with purple velvet flowers, which stuck up and trembled as she moved her head. Mary did not like her at all, but as she was very seldom liked people, there was nothing remarkable in that. Besides which is, was the very incident Mrs. Meglock did not did not think much of her. My word, she's a plain little piece, piece of goods, she said, and we heard that her mother was a beauty. She wasn't handed much of it down, has she, Mum? "'Perhaps she'll improve as she grows older,' the officer's wife said good-naturedly. "'If she were not too sallow and had a nicer expression, her features are rather good. "'Children alter so much.' "'She'll have to alter a good deal,' answered Mrs. Medlock. "'And there's nothing likely to improve children at Mitherswake, if you ask me.' They thought Mary wasn't listening because she was standing a little apart from them, the window of a private hotel they had gone to. She was watching the passing buses and cabs and people, but she had heard quite well, and she was made very curious about her uncle and the place he, he lived in. What sort of place is it? And what would he be like? There was was he a hunchback? She had never seen one. Perhaps there was. There were none in India. Since she had been living in other people's houses and had no ayah, she had begun to feel lonely and to think queer thoughts, which were new to her. She had begun to wonder why she had never seemed to belong to any, anyone, even her father. And, even when her father and mother had been alive, other children seemed to belong to their fathers and mothers, but she had never seemed to really be anyone's little girl. She she had had servants and food and clothes, but no one had taken any notice of her. But did not know that this was the way she was an agreeable child. But then, of course, she did not know. She she did not know she was disagreeable. The but um, she often thought that other people were other people were. But she did not know that she was so herself. She thought Mrs. Medlock was the most disagreeable person she had ever seen with her common highly coloured face and her common, common fine bonnet. The next day they set out on their journey to Yorkshire. She walked through the station to the railway carriage with her head up and trying to keep as far away from her as she could because she did not want to seem to belong to her. It would have made her very angry to think people imagined she was a little girl. But Mrs. Medlock was not in her least disturbed by her and her thoughts. She was was the kind of woman who said, Stand no nonsense from young ones. At, At least that is what she would have said if she had been asked. She had not wanted to go to London just when her sister Maria's daughter was going to be married. But she said she had a comfortable, well paid place as a housekeeper at Mithilstwaite Manor, and the only way in the house she would keep it to do was what Mr. Archibald Crave told her. She had never dared to ask a question. Captain Lennox and his wife died of cholera, Mr. Craven had said in a short cold way. Captain Lennox was my wife's brother and I'm their daughter's guardian. The child is to be brought here. You must go to London and bring her yourself. So she packed a small trunk and made the journey. Mary sat in the corner of the railway carriage and looked plain and fretful. She had nothing to read or to look at and she had folded her thin little black gloved hands on her lap. Her dress was made made her look yellower than ever. Her limp, light hair stra- 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 straggled from under the black crape hat. A, m- a more marred-looking young one I ever saw in my life, Mrs. Medlock dog. Mad is Yorkshire is a Yorkshire word that means spoiled and pettish. She had never seen a child who sat so still without doing anything. At last, she got tired of watching her and began to talk in a brisk, hard voice. I suppose I may as well tell you something about where you're going to go, she said. Do you know anything about your uncle? No. Never heard your father and mother talk about him? No, said Mary, frowning. She frowned because she remembered that her father and mother had never talked to her of about anything in particular, certainly they had never told her things. Hmm, muttered, muttered Mrs. Medlock, staring at her queer, unresponsive little face. She did not say any more for a few moments, and then she began, then she began again, I suppose you might as well be told something to prepare you, you're going to a queer place. Mary said nothing at all, and Mrs. Medlock looked rather di- discomfited by her apparent indifference. But after the talking breath, she went, Not but not, but that it is a grand big place in a gloomy way, and Mr. Craven's proud of it in his, in it, in his way. And that's gloomy enough, too. The house is 600 years old, and it's on the edge of the moor. That's near a... There's near a hundred rooms in it, though most of them shut up and locked and there are pictures and fine old furniture and things that have been there for ages and there's a big park around it and gardens and trees with branches trailing to the ground, some of them. to the ground some of them. She paused and suddenly took a breath. But there's nothing else she ended suddenly mary had begun to listen in spite of herself it all sounded so unlike india and had and anything new rather attracted her but she did not intend to look as if she was interested that was one of her unhappy disagreeable ways so she sat still well said mrs Meglock, what do you think nothing she answered i know nothing about such a place and that made Mrs. L- Medlock laugh—a sort of short laugh. Ah, she said. But you're like an old—you're like an old woman. Don't you care? It doesn't—it doesn't matter whether I care or not. You're right enough there. It—it it doesn't. What you are to be kept at Mistlethwaite Manor, for I don't know, unless because it's the easiest way. He's not going to trouble himself about you, that's for sure and certain. He's never troubled himself about no one. She stopped herself as if she just remembered something in time. He got a crooked back, she said. That set him wrong and was a sour young man and no good of all his money in a big place till he was married. Mary's eyes turned to water, in spite of her intention not to seem to care. She had never thought of the hunchback being married, and she had a trifle surprise. Mrs. Medlock saw this, and she was, a, and as she was a talkative woman, she continued with more interest. This was one way of passing some time, at any rate. She was a sweet, pretty thing, and he'd walked the world over to get. Her her a blade of grass she wanted. Nobody thought she'd marry him, but she did. And people said, people said she married him for his money. But she didn't. But she didn't. She didn't possibly. When, when she died, Mary, Mary, Mary gave a little involuntary. Oh, did she die? She exclaimed quite without meaning to. She had just remembered a French fairy tale once she once read called Riquet a la Ho It had been about a poor hunchback and a beautiful princess and it had made her suddenly sorry for Mr Archibald Craven Yes, she died Mrs Medlock answered and it made him queerer than ever He cares about no one he won't see people most of the time. He goes away, and when he's not at Mytholmroyd, he shuts himself up in the west wing and won't let anyone but Pitcher see him. Pitcher's an old fellow, but he took care of him when he was a child, and he knows his ways. It sounded like something in a book, and she did not want to make Mary feel cheerful. A house with a hundred rooms. He all shut up, and with the doors locked, a house on the edge of a mall. Whatsoever a mall was, sounded dreary, a man with a crooked back who shut himself up. She stared out of the window with her lips pinched together, and she seemed, she seemed quiet, natural that the rain should have begun to pour down the grey slanting lines and splash and stream down the window panes. If the pretty wife had been alive she might have made things cheerful by being something like her own mother by running in and out and going to parties. She had done in in frocks full of lace. But she had not she had not she was not there anymore. You needn't expect to see him because ten to one you won't, said (laughs) Mrs Medlock. And you mustn't expect that there will be people to talk to you. You'll have to play about and look after yourself. You'll be told what rooms you can go in and what rooms you'll keep out of. There's gardens enough, but when you're in the house, don't go wandering and poking about. Mister Craven won't have it. I shall not want to go poking about," said said sour little Mary, and she was just as suddenly as she begun to be rather sorry for Mister Archibald Craven. She began to cease to cease to be sorry and think he was unpleasant enough to deserve all that happened to him and she turned her face towards the streaming panes of the window of the railway carriage and gazed out the grey train out of the green rainstorm which looked as if it would go on forever and ever she watched it so long and steady and steadily that the greyness grew heavier and heavier before her eyes and she began to fall asleep
1: chapter 3 Cross the mall she slept a long time and when she awakened Mrs Medlock had bought a lunch basket at one of the stations and they had some chicken and cold beef and bread and butter and some hot tea. The rain seemed to be streaming down more heavily than ever and everybody in the station wore a wet and glistening waterproofs. The guard lightened the lamps in the carriage and Mrs. menlock cheered up very much over her tea and chicken and beef. She ate a great deal and afterwards fell asleep herself. And Mary sat and stared at her and watched her fine bonnet slip on one side until she, until she herself fell asleep. Once more in the corner of the carriage, lulled by the splashing of the against the windows it was a quiet dark it was quiet dark when when she awakened again the train had stopped at a station and Mrs. Medlock was shaking her
0: you have you've had a sleep she said it's time to open your eyes we're at Thwaite station and we've got a long drive before us mary stood up and tried to keep her
1: eyes open while mrs medlock calculated for her parcels the little girl did not know did not offer to help because indian native servants always picked up or carried things and it seemed quite proper that other people should wait on her on one on one the station was a small one and nobody but themselves seemed to be getting out of the train. The station master spoke to Mrs. Midlock in a rough, good-natured way, pronouncing his words in a queer, broad broad fashion, which Mary found out afterwards was Yorkshire. I see that's got back, he said does ralph young
0: with thee aye that's her answered mrs answered mrs medlock speaking with her yorkshire accent herself jerking her head over the shoulders towards towards mary how's thy missus well now the carriage is
1: waiting Outside for thee, a brougham stood on the road before a little outside platform. Mary saw that it was a smart carriage, and that it was and that it was dripping with rain, as everything was. The early station master included when he sh- when he shut the door, mounted the box with the coach they drove off. A little girl found herself seated a, on a comfortable cushion corner, cushioned corner but she was not inclined to go to sleep again. She sat and looked out of the window, curious to see something on the road ahead which she was being driven to a queer place Mrs. Medlock had spoken of. She was not at all a t- timid child, and she was not exactly frightened, but, but she felt that there was no knowing what might happen in a house with a hundred rooms nearly all shut up house standing on the edge of the moor. What is the moor?
0: She said suddenly to Mrs Medlock. Look out the window in, in about ten minutes and you'll see. The woman answered. We've got to drive five miles across Moor before we can get to the manor. You won't see much because it's it's a dark night, but you can see something.
1: Mary asked no more questions, but waited in the darkness of her corner, keeping her eyes on the window. The the carriage lamps cast rays of light in the distance ahead of them, and she caught glimpses of things they passed. After they had left the station, they had driven through the tiny through a tiny village, and she had seen whitewashed cottages and the lights of the public house hel- of public houses. Um, then they had passed a church and a vicarage and a little shop window, also in a cottage. Toys and sweets and odd things set out for sale. Then they were on the road, and she saw hedges of tr- of the tr- and trees. After that, there seemed nothing different for a long time, or at least it seemed a long time to her. At least, at last. Horses began to go more slowly as if they were climbing up a hill, and presently they seemed to be no more hedges, no more trees. She could see nothing in fact, but dense darkness on either side. Just lean she leaned forwards and pressed her face against the window, just as the carriage gave a big jolt.
0: I are on the moor now, sure enough, said Mrs. Medlock. The carriage, cl- the carriage lamps shed a
1: yellow light on the rough-looking road, which seemed to be cutting through bushes and low-growing growl- things, which headed in the great expanse of Darkness apparently spread out before and around them. A wind was rising and making a singular, wild, low rushing sound. It's—it's it's not the sea, is it? Said Mary, looking round at her com- at,
0: com- at her companion. No, no, it's not, answered Mrs. Medlock. Nor. It isn't field nor mountains, it's just miles and miles of wild land and nothing grows on it but heather, horse and broom and nothing lives on it but wild ponies and sheep. I feel as it might be the sea if there were water on it, said Mary. It sounds like the sea just now. That's the wind blowing through the bushes, Mrs. Medlock said. It's a wild, dreary enough place... to my mind there's plenty that like that likes it particularly when the heather's on bloom on and on they drove through the darkness and though
1: and through though the rain stopped the wind rushed by and whistled and made strange sounds the road went up and down several times several times the carriage passed over on a little bridge beneath which water rushed very fast with a great deal of noise. Mary felt as if they would drive the drive would never come to an end, and that the wide wild bleak moor was wide expanse black ocean through she passing on a strip of dry land. I don't like it, she said to herself. I don't like it, and she pitched her thin lips more tightly together. The horses were climbing the hills of the road when she first caught a glimpse um, glimpse of the light. Mr Manlook saw it as soon as she did, and drew a long
0: sigh of relief. Ah, I'm glad to see the bit of light twinkling. She exclaimed, It's the light on the lodge windows. We shall get a good cup of tea after a bit, at all events. It was
1: after, as she said. For when the carriage passed through the park gates, there was still two miles of avenue to drive through. The trees, which nearly met overhead, made it seem as if they were driving over a long dark vault. They drove out of the vault into a clear space and stopped before an immensely long, low built house, which seemed to ramble round in stone court. At first, Mary thought that they were. No, there were no lights, and all in the windows. But as she got out of the carriage, she saw that one room in the corner upstairs showed a dull glow. The entrance of the door was huge, one a huge one made of made of ma- made of massive, curious-shaped panels of oak, stood in with big iron nails and bound with great iron bars. It opened into an enormous hall which was so dimly lighted that the faces in the portraits on the wall and the figures in suits and armour made Mary feel like she did not want to look at them. As she stood on the stone floor, she looked at a very small odd little black figure and she felt a small and lost and odd as she looked a neat thin old man stood near the my servant who opened the door for them you are to take her to her room he said in a husky voice
0: he doesn't want to see her he's going to london in the morning Very well, Mr. Picture, Mrs. Medlock answered. So long as I know what's expected of me, I can manage what's expected of you, Mrs. Medlock, Mr. Picture said, is that you make sure that he is not disturbed and that he doesn't want to see what he doesn't want to see. And then Mary Minnix
1: was led up to a broad staircase and down a long corridor. And up a short flight of steps and then through another corridor and another until a door opened in a wall. And she found herself in a room with a fire in it and a supper on the table. Mrs. Redlock said scares me, "Well,
0: here you are. This room and the next are where you'll live and you must keep to them don't forget that it is it was
1: in this way mistress mary arrived at mrs sweet manor and she had perhaps never felt quite so contrary in her life chapter four martha when she opened her eyes in the morning it was because a young housemaid had come into her room Mm -hmm. to light, light the fire and was kneeling on the hearth rug, raking out the cinders noisily. Mary lay and watched her for a few minutes, and then began to look about the room. She had never seen a room at all like it, and thought it curious and gloomy. The walls were covered with tapestry, with a forest scene embroidered on it there was fantastically dressed people under the trees. And in the distance there was a glimpse of of the turrets of a castle. They were hunters and horses and dogs and ladies. Mary felt as if she were in a forest with them out on the deep window. Out of the deep window She could see a great climbing stretch of land which seemed to have no trees on it and to look rather like an endless, dull, purplish sea. What is that? she said, pointing out the window. Martha, the young housemaid who had just risen on her feet, looked and pointed also. That there? she said. Yes. That's the more with a good natured grin. Doesn't thou like it? No answered Mary. I hate it. That's because thou not used to it, Martha said going back to her hearth. That thinks it's too big and bare now, but thou will think it Do you? Inquired Mary. Ah, that I do," answered Martha cheerfully, polished away at the great at the crate. I was just love, I just love it. It's none bare. It's covered with the growing things, and as smells sweet. It's fair. It's they lovely in spring and summer when the gorse and broom and heather's in flower. It's summer when the, well, it smells of oh honey and there's such a lot of fresh air. The sky looks high and the bees and skylarks. Makes such a nice noise. <laughs> I went and singing. Uh, ah, I wouldn't live it away from the moors for anything. Mary listened to her with a grave, puzzled expression. The native servants she had been used to in India were not in the least like this. They were obscure and servile and did not presume to talk to their masters as if they were their equals. They had solemns and called them to protect the moors and names at the, at the soil. Indian servants were commanded to, to do things not asked. It was not a custom to say please and thank you. Mary was always had always slapped her uh, uh, in aya in the face when she got angry. She wondered a little what this girl would do if one slapped her in the face. She was round, rosy, good-natured, looking, looking creature. But she had a sturdy way which made Mistress Mary wonder if she might not ever slap back if the person who slapped her was a little girl. "You are a strange servant," she said from her pillows, rather haughtily. Martha sat up on her heels with her back brush in her hand and laughed without seeming the least out of temper. Oh, I know that, she said. If there was a grand missus at sweet I would never have been one, even one of the thunder housemaids. I might have been Let to be a scullery maid, but I'd never have been let upstairs, I'm too common and I like to talk much Yorkshire, but this is a funny house for all it's so grand, seems like there's never, never, neither master or mistress except Mr. Pitcher mrs medlock mr craven mr craven he won't be troubled about anything when he's here and he's nearly always away mrs medlock gave the place out of kindness she told me she could never have done it in mrs had been like other big houses. Are you going to be my servant? Mary asked still, imperious like Indian white. Martha began to rub her cr- her crate again. I'm Mrs Medlock's servant, she said stoutly, and she's Mrs Cravens. But I, I do, I, I'm to do, do a housemaid's work, and here and wait on you a bit but you you won't need much waiting on who's going to dress me demanded mary martha sat up on her heels again and stared she spoke in a broad Yorkshire accent in amazement can't i dress thyself she said What do you mean? I don't understand your language, said Mary. Oh, I forgot, Martha said. Mrs Medlock told me. Mrs Medlock told me I had to be careful Address me, of course. Well said, Mary. Evidently not in the least aware that she, she was abundant. It's time that I should that I should learn. That cannot begin, young. Begin. She was a uh, cannot begin younger. It'll do the good to wait on thy thyson of it. M- my mother always sa- always said she couldn't see why grand people's children didn't turn out that the- with nurses and being washed and dressed and took out for walks like they were puppies. It's different in India, said mistress Mary disdainfully. She could scarcely stand this. But Martha was not at all crushed. Eh, yeah, I can see. It's different, she answered, most emphatically. I dare say it's because there's such a lot of old blacks where instead of respectable white people. When I heard you was coming from India, I thought you were a black too. What? What? You thought I was a native? You daughter of a pig! Martha stared and looked hot. You, you are, you, who are you calling, oh, calling names, she said. You needn't be so vexed. That's not the way for a young lady to talk. I've nothing against the blacks. When you read about him in tracks, they always are. They always very religious. You always read as a black a man and a brother. I've never seen a blacken. I was fair pleased to think I was going to see one. What one, one does when I come into the light, your fire. I was going to see one. Day. This morning I crept to your bed and pulled the cover back carefully to look at you and there was there you was disappointingly no more black than me for all you are so yellow. Mary did not even try try to control her rage and humiliation you thought i was a native you dared
0: you don't know anything about natives they are not people they are servants who must must sell to you you know nothing about india you know nothing about anything she was in such a rage she felt so hopeless for the girl
1: simple stare and somehow, she sudden s- suddenly felt so horrible, lo- horribly lonely, and far away from everything. She stood and watched, understood her. She, that's that she threw herself face down into a passionate burst into a pillows and burst into a passionate um. She sobbed so unstrained, go away, that good-natured Yorkshire Martha was a little frightened and quite sorry for her. She went to bed and bent over. Ah, oh, you mustn't cry like that. There she began. You mustn't, for sure. I didn't know you'd be, you'd be vexed. I don't know anything about anything, just like you said. I beg your pardon Miss. Do stop crying. There was something comforting, really friendly in her queer cautious speak and sturdy and sturdy way which had a good effect on Mary. She gradually ceased crying and became quiet. Martha looked relieved. It's time for thee to get going up now, she said. Mrs Medlock said, I was to carry their breakfast and tea and dinner into the room next to this. It's been made into a nursery for thee. I'll help thee on with the, thy clothes if thou get out of bed. <laughs> if." The buttons are at the back, we cannot button them up herself. When Mary at last decided to get up, and when the clothes master took out the wardrobe, were not the ones she had worn when she arrived the night before, she was Mrs Medlock. Those aren't mine, she said. Mine are black. She looked a thick white bull coat and dress over and added with cold approval. Those are nicer than mine. These are the ones that must put on. Martha answered. Mr Craven ordered Mrs Medlock to get them london he said i won't have a child dressed in black wondering about put colors on here mother she said she knew what he meant mother always knows what a body means she doesn't hold black herself. I hate black things!" said Mary. The dressing process was one which taught them both something. Martha had buttoned up her little sisters and brothers, but she had never seen a child who stood still and waited for another person to do things for her, as if had neither hand
0: feet on her own why doesn't thou put on their own shoes she said when Mary quietly held out her foot my ayah did it answered Mary staring it was the custom she said that very often it was the custom the native servants were always saying it if one told them to do a thing their ancestors had not done for a thousand years they gazed at one mildly and said it is not custom, and one knew that was the end of the matter. It had not been the custom that Mistress Mary should do anything but stand and allow herself to be dressed like a doll. But before she was ready for breakfast, she began to suspect that her life at Middlethwaite Manor would end by teaching a number of quite of quite new things, such as putting on her own shoes and stockings and picking up things she let fall if Martha had been a well-trained, fine young lady's maid, she would have been more subservient and respectful, and would have known that her bi- what her business was, brushing, to brush hair, button boots, and pick the things up and lay them away. She was, however, the only untrained Yorkshire rustic who had been brought up in a moorland cottage with a swarm of little brothers and sisters who had never dreamed of doing anything but waiting on themselves and on the younger ones who had either babies in their arms or just learning to totter about and tumble over things. Mary Lennox had been a child who was ready to be amused. She would perhaps have been laughed at Martha's readiness to talk. But Martha only listened to her coldly and wondered at her freedom of manner. At first, she was not at all interested, but gradually, as the girl rattled on in a good-tempered, homely way, Mary began to notice what she was saying. Ah, eh, hey, you, should, you should see them all, she said. There's twelve of us, and my father, only get sixteen children a week. I can tell you, my mother's put to it. To get porridge for em all, they tumble. About on the moor and play there all day. And mother says the air of the moor fattens them. She, believe, she says she believes they eat the grass. Same as the wild ponies do. our Ardickon, Dick, our he's 12 years old. He's got a wild pony. Calls his own. Where did, where did he get it? asked Mary. Found it on the moor with its mother when it was little. When it was a little one, he began to make friends with it, and gives it bits of bread, and pluck o' grass for it. And it got to like him so, so it follows him about, and it lets him on its back. Dickens a kind lad with animals like him. Mary never possessed an animal pet of her own, and always she thought she would like one. So she began to feel slight interest in Dickens. And she had never been interested in anyone but herself, dawning of a healthy sen- sentiment. She went into the room which we made into a nursery for her. She found that it was rather like one she slept in. It was not a child's room, but a grown-up person's room with gloomy old pictures on the walls and a heavy oak and heavy oak chairs. A table in the center was set with a good substantial breakfast. She she always had a very small appetite, and she looked she looked with something in more than indifference at the plate Martha set before her. I don't want this. Dad doesn't want thy porridge, Martha exclaimed incred- in, incredulous. No, Dad doesn't know how good it is. Put a bit of treacle on, or a bit of sugar. I don't want it, eh? Said Martha. I can't abide to see good victuals go to waste. If our children was at this table, they'd clean it bare in five minutes. Why? asked Mary coldly. Why? echoed Martha. Because they're scarce, ever had their stomachs full in their lives. They're as hungry as young hawks and foxes. I don't know what it is to be hungry, said Mary with the indifference of ignorance. Martha looked indignant. Well, it would do thee good to try it. I could see the plain enough, she said outspokenly. I've no patience with folk that just sit and stares at good bread and meat. My word, don't I wish Dickon and Phil and Jane and the rest of em had what's under their pinafores? Why don't you take it to Why don't you take it to them? Suggested Mary. It's Not mine, answered 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 Mary stoutly. And this isn't my day out. I get my day out once a month, same as the rest. Then I go home and clear up for mother and give her a day's rest. Mary drank some tea and ate a little toast and some marmalade. You wrap up warm, up warm warm, and run out and play you, play you said Martha. It, it'll it do you good, and give you some stomach to, for your meat. Mary went to the window. There were gardens and paths and big trees, but, everyone looked, but everything looked dull and wintry. Out? Why should I go out on a day like this? Well, if I doesn't go out, they'll have to stay in, and... What's that got to do?" Mary glanced about. There was nothing to do. Mrs. Madlock had prepared the nursery. She had not thought of amusement. Perhaps it would be better to go and see what the gardens are like. "'Who will go with me?' she inquired, mouth stared. "'You'll go by yourselves?' she answered. "'You'll have to learn to play like other children do "'when they haven't got sisters and brothers. "'Our dickon goes off on the moor by, by himself and plays for hours.' That's how he made friends with the pony. He's got a sheep on the moor that knows him, and birds as comes that comes eats out of his hands. However, however little there is to eat, he always serves a bit of bread to coax his pets. It was it was really this mention of Dickon that made which made Mary decide to go out, but she was not aware of it. She would be bird. There would be birds outside, and there would not be ponies or sheep. They would be different from the birds in India and it might amuse her to look at them. Martha found a coat and hat for her and a pair of stout little boots and showed her her way di- way downstairs. "'If thou goes round the way thou come to the gardens,' she said, pointing to the gate of the waterbury, "'There's lots of flowers in the summertime, but there's nothing blooming now.' She seemed to hesitate a second before she added, one of the gardens is locked down. No one's been in it for ten years. Why? Asked Mary in spite of herself, which was another. Here was another locked door, and added a hundred and strange ways. Mister. Graven and i had it, had it shut when his wife died so sudden. He wouldn't let no one go inside. It was her garden. He locked the door and dug a hole and buried the key there's mrs medlock's bell ringing i must run after she was gone mary turned down to down the walk which led to the door in in the shrubbery she could not help but think the garden which which no one had been in for 10 years she wondered what it would look like and whether it would have any flowers still living in it when she passed through the shrubbery gate she found herself in the great gardens with wide lawns and winding walks with clipped borders. There were trees and large flower beds and evergreens clipped into strange shapes with a large pool of an old grey fountain in its midst. But the flower beds are bare wintry and the fountain were not pl- was not play- playing. This was not the garden which was shut up. How could How could a garden be shut up? always walk into a garden. She was thinking about this when she saw that an end of the path she was following, there seemed to be a long wall with Ivy growing up growing over it. It was not familiar enough with in England to know what was coming up in the kitchen in the kitchen gardens where the vegetables and the fruit were growing. She went towards the wall and found that there were there was a green door in ivy, and where it stood, this was not a closed garden evidently, and she could go in it. She went through the door and found it way into a garden with walls around it, which was the only one of several walled gardens which seemed to open into one other. She saw. Another open green door revealed re- re- revealing bushes pathways between beds containing winter vegetables. Fruit trees were trained flat against the wall and over some beds there were glass frames. The place was bare and ugly enough, Mary thought as she stood and stared at her. Might be nicer in the summer when things are green, but there was nothing pretty about it now. Presently, an old man with a spade over his shoulder walked through the, the door leading from the second garden. He looked startled when he saw Mary, and touched his cap. he said, Um was sure the person pleased to see her, but she, but she was displeased with his garden and wore a, her quite contrary expression, and, and certainly did not seem pleased to see him. What's in this place? She asked. One of the kitchen gardens, he answered. What is that? said Mary, pointing to the open door. Another of them? Shortly. There's another one to that side. Oh, the wall, and there's the orchard, the other side of that. Can I go in them? asked Mary. If there are lights, there's out to see. Mary made no response. She went down the path and through the second green door and then she found more walls and winter vegetables and a glass frame. In the second wall there was another green door it was not open. Perhaps it led into the garden which no one had seen for ten years. Now she wanted to, no, the timid child had always wanted to do. Mary went to the green door and turned the handle. She hoped the door would not open, because it wanted to see surely she had found the mysterious garden, but it did open quite easily, and she walked through it and found herself in an orchard. There were walls around it also, and there were trees trained against them, and there were bare fruit trees growing in the winter brown grass above, but there was no green door to be seen anywhere. Mary looked for it, and yet there... And yet when she had entered the upper end of the garden she had noticed that the wall did not seem to end with the orchard, but to extend beyond that what is it is enclosed a place on the other side. She could see the tops of the trees above above the wall, and she stood still and saw a bird with a bright red breast sitting on the topmost branch of one of them. Suddenly, he burst into his winter song almost as she caught her and was calling to her. She stopped and listened to him. Somehow, his cheerful, friendly little whistle gave her a pleased feeling about feeling even a disagreeable girl may be lonely in a big closed house and a big fair mall and a big ba- and big bare gardens, which made this one feel as if there was no one left in the world but herself. If if she had an aff- been an affectionate child, she would be wed to thought, being loved, she would have a broken heart. But even though she was Mistress Mary, quite contrary, she was desolate, and the bright-breasted little bird brought a look into her sour little face, which was all was almost a smile she listened to him until he flew away he was not like an indian bird and she liked him and wondered if she should ever see him again perhaps he lived in the mysterious garden and knew all about it perhaps it was because she had nothing whatever to do she thought so much of the deserted garden she was curious about it and wanted to see what it was like why had mr archibald craven buried the key if he had liked his wife so much why did he hate her garden she wondered if she should ever see him but she knew that if she did she should not like him and he would not like her and that she should only stand and stare at him and say nothing though should she be wanting dreadfully to ask him why he had done such a queer thing People never like me, and I never like people, she thought. And I never can talk as the Crawford children could. They were always talking and laughing and making noises. She thought of the robin and of the way he seemed to sing his song at her. And as she remembered the treetop he perched on, she stopped rather suddenly on the path. I believe that tree was in the secret garden I feel sure of it was she said there was a wall around the place and there was no door she walked back into the first kitchen garden she had entered and found the old man digging there she went and stood beside him watched for a few moments in her cold little way he took no notice of her and so at last she spoke to him I've been in the other gardens she said there was nothing to prevent thee he answered crustily i went to thee into the orchard and there was no dog at thy door to bite thee he answered there was no door into the other garden said mary what garden he said in a rough voice stopping his digging for a moment the one on the other side of the wall answered mistress mary there were trees i s- there. I saw the tops of them. A bird with a red breast was sitting on one of them, and he sang. To her surprise, the surly, old, weather-beaten face actually changed its expression. A slow smile spread over it, and the gardener looked quite different, and it made her think uh, that it was curious how much nicer person, a person looked when he smiled. She had not thought of it before turned about to the orchard up of the garden and began to whistle a low soft whistle. She could not understand how surely a man could make such coaxing sound. Almost for the next moment a wonderful thing happened. She heard a soft little rushing flight through the air and it was the bird with the red breast flying to them and he actually alighted on a big clod of earth Quite near to the gardener's foot here he is chuckled the old man and then he poked the bird as if he was speaking to a child where has thou been thy cheeky little beggar he said i've not seen thee before today has thou been thy cat caught in this early in the season or that two four yard the bird put his tiny head to one side and looked up at him with, a, with his soft bright eye, which uh, was like a black dew drop. He seemed quite familiar, but not at the least afraid. He hoped about it and pecked at the earth briskly, through the, looking for seeds and insects. It gave Mary a queer feeling in her heart because he was so pretty and cheerful, seemed And seemed so like a person. He had a tiny plump body and a delicate beak and slender delicate legs. Will he always come when you call him? she whispered. Aye, that he will. I've known him ever since he was a fledging. He'll come out of the nest in the other garden and when first he flew over the wall he was too weak to fly back for a few days. And we got friendly. When he went over the wall again, the rest of the brood was gone, and he was lonely, and he came come back to me. What kind of bird is he? Mary asked. Doesn't the know. He's a Robin Redbreast, and they're the friendliest curious birds alive. They're almost as friendly as dogs, if you know how to get on with them. Watch him beckon about there, looking round at us now, again, he knows we're talking about him. It was the queerest thing in the world to see the old fellow. He looked he looked at the plump little scarlet waistcoated bird as if he were both proud and fond of him. He's a conciated one, he chuckled. He likes to hear folk talk about him. And curious, bless me, there never was like him for curiosity a meddling. He always coming to see what I'm planting. He always knows the thing the master, the meister, cravin' never troubles thistle so to find out. He's the head gardener. He is. The robin hopped about and busily pecked the soil, and now and then stopped and looked at them a little. Mary thought his black dewdrop eyes gazed at her with great curiosity really seemed as if he was finding out all about her the queer feeling the queer feeling in her heart increased where did the rest of the brood fly to she asked there's no knowing the old ones turn them out of their nest and make them fly and they scatter before you know this one was knowing it on and he knew he was lonely Mistress Mary went a step nearer to the robin and looked at him very hard. "I'm lonely," she said. She had not known before that this was the one of the things which made her feel sour and cross. She seemed to find out that when the robin looked at her and she looked at the robin. The old gardener pushed his cap back on his bald head and stared a minute. "Aren't I the little wench from India?" he asked. Mary nodded. Then no wonder thou'rt lonely. will be lonelier before that done. He began. He began to dig again. He began to dig again, driving his spade deep into the rich black garden soil, while the robin hopped about busily employed. What is your name, Mary inquired? He stood up and answered her. Ben Weatherstaff. He said. He added with a surely chuckle, "I'm lonely myself, except when he's with me." He jerked his thumb towards the robin. He's the only friend I've got. I've got no friends at all," said Mary. "I never have. My like I didn't like me, and I never like—I never played with anyone. It is an Yorkshire, a Yorkshire habit to say what you are with blunt frankness. And old Ben Weatherstaff was a was a Yorkshire moorman. That and me a good bit lot alike." was wove out of the same clothes we neither of us were good looking and we're both of us as sour as we look and we both got some nasty tempers both of us i warrant this was plain speaking and mary lennox had never heard the truth about herself in her life native servants always salaam and submitted to you whatever you did she had never thought too much thought much of her looks and she wondered if if she was unattractive as Ben Weatherstaff, She also wondered if she she looked as sour as he had looked before the Robin came. She actually began to wonder if she was nasty tempered. She felt uncomfortable. Suddenly, a clear, rippling little sound broke out near her and she turned around. She was standing a few feet from a young apple tree and the Robin had flown on one of the branches and burst out in a scrape of song ben weatherstaff laughed outright what did he do that for asked mary he's made up his minds to make up make friends with thee replied ben dang me if he doesn't look to fancy to thee to me said mary as she moved towards the little tree softly and looked up would you make friends with me she said to the robin just as she was speaking to a person would you and she did not say it's either in her hard little voice or in her imperious indian voice but in a tone so soft and eager and coaxing that ben weatherstaff was surprised as she had been when she heard a whistle why he cried out that said that as nice as a human and that was a real child instead of a sharp old woman that said it almost like dickens talks to the wild things on the moor. do you know dickens Mary asked, turn around rather in a hurry. Everybody knows him. Dickens wandering about everywhere. The very blackberries all on air the bells knows him. I warrant the foxes showing where their cubs lies and the skylarks don't hide their nests from him. Mary would like to ask him more questions. She was almost curious about Dickens as, as she was about the deserted garden. But just at that moment, Robin, who had ended his song, gave a little shake of his wings and spread them and flew away. He had made his visit and, and had other things to do. He's flown over the wall, Mary cried out, watching him. He's flown He's flown into the orchard. He has flown across the other wall in the garden where there's no door. He lives there, said old Ben. He came out with their egg, and if he's caught in, he's making up to some young madam of the robin that lives among the old rose trees there. Rose trees? said Mary. Are there rose trees? Ben Weatherstaff looked up at his spade again and began to dig. There was ten year ago he mumbled. I'd like to see them, said Mo. Where's the green door? There must be a door somewhere. Ben drove his spade deep and looked deep spade deep and lo- uncompanionable, and he said as he looked the there was ten year ago but there isn't now, he said. No door, cried Mary. There must be. None as any can find and none are your business. Don't go meddlesome wrench around poke your nose where it's not caused to go. Here, I must go on with my work. Get gone and play out. I've no more I've no more time. He actually stopped digging through his spade over his shoulder and walked off without even glancing at her. Or saying goodbye. This part of the story was performed by Micah, Bill, and Clara Lilyball. It was recorded and edited on the Garage Band. I really, really enjoyed that. Was part one of *The Secret Garden* by Frances and Burnett. Um, part two should be shortly where we will read more chapters of the book. So I really enjoyed. Uh, Look out for the next part. Bye. Thank you for listening.